0: Would you please turn to the book of Luke, the sixth chapter? In this chapter is uh, the Sermon on the Mount that also takes up five, six, and seven in Matthew. But there's some other things here that we would like to just touch to help us to uh, get acquainted with Christ and His love and compassion and the teaching that He has uh, for us. We need this teaching here to get away from a lot of our misunderstandings of God's uh, relationship with us and our relationship with him. It came to pass on the second Sabbath after the first that he went through the cornfields, and his disciples plucked the ears of corn and did eat, rubbing them in their hands. And certain of the Pharisees said unto them, Why do ye that which is not lawful to do on the Sabbath day? Now, what we're getting is a picture here of the legalistic system that was guiding people in the religious world of that day and their convictions and how that it kept them from receiving Christ as the Messiah. Now, where this has its application is in us today. We get so attached to the teachings that we have kept, that we have made prominent in our lives, and we have sort of lost relationship with God in Christ and the Holy Spirit. And this is here for this reason, to help us to see how we think as individuals. And they were just looking to see, and a lot of people just look today, a lot of people can't hear what I say for listening to criticize me. And I'm not just referring that to me. I'm talking about any speaker usually has people listening to him to see if they can find something to criticize him about. Now, that's just a part of humanity. And if you're tied up in that area, may God bless you to see that they had it happen with Jesus. And we need a relationship with Jesus and with God and with teachers today and we need to, uh, to to strike those habits in our lifetime if they're like these Pharisees here. And certain of the Pharisees said unto them, Why do ye that which is not lawful to do on the Sabbath day? And Jesus answered them, said, Have ye not read so much as this? When David, uh, what David did when he him, when himself was uh, hungry, or he hungered, and that which were, and 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 they which were with him. Now, it really wasn't unlawful for them to do what they were doing here on the Sabbath. But they had written six hundred and thirteen, or even more, laws, and added to the to the to their law, the Torah, and uh, other uh, things that they were following. And in that, it was there and when they wrote what they had bound it was it was, with your, that's the reason he said you have made void the commandments of God by your traditions it was their tradition so their traditions had it written in that it was and he's telling them he's answering them he said how he went into the house of God and did take and eat the show bread and gave also to them that were with him which it is not lawful to eat but for the priest alone now uh, even though uh, just plucking one corn and doing this was not laboring like they said you could labor on the, uh, on the Sabbath, and they had interpreted it that way, but he goes ahead and takes the time that, uh, in showing that they did eat the showbread, which was unlawful, but he was showing the grace and the mercy and that he was God. And he said, And he said unto them, That the Son of Man is Lord also of the Sabbath. Now the real challenge here was for them to accept him as God, manifest in the flesh. And as the Son of God, they didn't want to accept him as that. And uh, he was saying, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. I made the Sabbath for man and not man for the Sabbath. You know, he didn't make the Sabbath for us to worship. And it came to pass also on another Sabbath, so he's really trying to get the point over he wouldn't have done it twice. And he did it more than this, that he entered into the synagogue and taught, and there was a man whose right hand was withered. Now, what he's really wanting to teach them is love and compassion and helpfulness to humanity. And he knows that they have a hang-up about their traditions and that they have made a god out of the Sabbath. And that they just left him out. They didn't care about the Sabbath. They didn't care about God. They cared about keeping their own traditions the way they would written them. And he saw that he entered into the synagogue and taught, and there was a man whose right hand was withered. And the scribes and the Pharisees watched him. Now, they were in the business and they were thinking about not worshiping Him, or not worshiping God the Father, or not doing it because the God was an unseen being, an invisible God, and they could have chatted some uh, Psalms and all of that. They didn't have God in the center of their worship. What was possessing them? Criticism. They wanted to be in control. That was the main thing. They didn't want anybody They're controlling them. And the scribes and Pharisees watched him, whether he would heal on the Sabbath day. Now, what was wrong with eating? I don't know, they, It didn't matter about humanity. It didn't matter about people being sick and needing help. All it mattered was for them to keep their tradition. It was more important than humanity or helping humanity or doing good. See? Now, that they might find an occasion against him, an accusation against him. So all they were looking for is an an accusation or getting something to accuse him. Because what? Not because he was a bad man, not because he had done things wickedly, but because he didn't sanction their way of worshiping And he was trying to teach them that God was a spirit and that they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Now, one of the things on the 8th verse he knew what they were thinking. God is the heart-knower. Now, we can learn a lesson from that 8th verse. We can't hide from him and we can't fool him. And when we come into worship, he knows whether we are looking at the words of the song and thinking about the meaning of the words of the song that we sing and the prayers that we pray and that he's upmost and foremost in all of this. He knows that. He knows that. And uh, if we don't understand that, then we need to key in on this great lesson because it's teaching us how we think and the mistakes that man makes. But he knew their thoughts and said to the man which had the withered hand. Now, what was he going to do? Well, he just knew the people. Now, he wasn't trying to fight with them, and he wasn't trying to show them up, and he wasn't trying to make them be mean. He was just trying to help them. They'd already approached him about this, and he knew what they were thinking. But, you know, they wouldn't open their mind. they become more stubborn have you ever gotten in touch with that That that's the way we act with people and, and when we're trying to help one another that's the way they acted you know psychology is nothing but study of human behavior and some, pe- some people have such a guilt feeling when you say name psychology uh, they just oh no it won't have anything to do with that but it's not a bad word it's a study of the spirit. Psyche in the Greek is the spirit and the mind, and ology is a study. So it's a study of our behavior, whether we are giving over to the flesh or whether we are giving over to the spirit. So there's nothing wrong. Now, people misuse it and abuse it, and, and, and they. it's terrible how the use of it is. But the Bible is the best book on psychology, on human behavior, that's ever been written. And you can't improve on it. It's here. It's here. And, and the eighth verse says, But he knew their thoughts, and said to the man which was withered hand, Rise up and stand forth in the midst. And he arose and stood. He knew exactly what that is going to cause. Because he knows, man— And a person who writes a book, you think God would have written a book that wouldn't have helped man? Why he he came down and took on flesh that was just like the flesh we have. And he gave himself for us. He didn't need that. We were the only ones that needed that. And he gave up all of that, that we might live and that we might be like him. And then said Jesus unto them, I will ask you one thing. Is it lawful on the Sabbath day to do good or to do evil? To save life or to destroy life? He knew what they were going to do. They were criticizing him for helping that person. And he just said, I'll, I'll lay it out here. And looking round about upon them all, he said unto the man, He's going to heal him. But we're confronted whether you're going to do good or you're going to do evil. You're going to do good, you're going to help, you're going to rise up, you're going to forgive the man or not. And he said, stretch forth thy hand. And he did so. And his hand was restored, whole as the other. Now, you know, if we were believers, and, and, and the person who did it told you that he was God's son, that's what he saw he said up here. He said, I'll tell you what, the reason I did this to this other person is because the Son of Man has command over the Sabbath. I I can change it. (laughs) Anything we do that is wrong, I, I was the one that made that. Just believe me. They wouldn't believe him. And here, he said, he restored this. If you see a man that has a withered hand restored, it looks like, And if anything would convince a person, that would. But did you know something? We have this written in here. And we have this teaching written in here. And did you know people are tied up with traditions and their own ways of thought till they do the same thing these people do today? And they were filled with madness and communed one with another what they might do to Jesus. Well, when you cross out a man's traditions and the things that he thinks right, it doesn't matter. He's going to get you. And it came to pass in those days that he went out into the mountain to pray, and he continued all night in prayer. You know, if Jesus knew their thoughts when they before he healed that man and when they were criticizing him for healing uh, or, or, or overlooking what they had done by eating on the Sabbath and he had agreed that there was nothing violated there and they were really in opposition to them If he knew their thoughts there he knows their thoughts here how mad they are and Luke put that in and you know what he did? He did exactly what what Paul told us to do in Philippians. Just remember, you're in Christ, and you need to have the mind of Christ. See, every chapter had a conflict this morning, didn't it? Had a lot of fuss, big fuss going on, a lot of disagreements. A lot of people miss that. They just they just see the joy that's in the book, and some people say, "I'm gonna write a book on joy because of the joy that's mentioned in it." It wasn't on joy. Joy was a choice to have when you're overwhelmed with difficulty. You miss the point if you if you think it's written on joy. Joy was a thing that could come out of a person who's under heavy, tremendous burden. Two women fussing and fighting. A whole chapter three of people just fussing and feuding. In chapter two, And they were blaming one another, and they were murmuring, and they were complaining. And he said, "The thing that causes that, the thing that take care of all of this, is to have your position in Christ take note of." That's exactly what he did here. He went out and prayed all night. He prayed all night. Now he did something else besides deal with those conflicts and those people. He selected the 12 people. They're so going to have to go with him all the time. He said, I've got a big job. And he prayed all night before he selected them. He chose the 12. He named them, and we have the names there. In number 17, he said, and He came down with them and stood in the plain and the company of his disciples and a great multitude of people out of all Judea and Jerusalem. And from the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon. Now, I'll tell you that particular passage. Old Luke just gathers in, and and, and if you're acquainted, I'm acquainted with that uh, that. And you could look in your Bible and see. But did you know what this covers? It covers the whole 200 miles that Jesus, uh, in his 200-mile circumference, that he didn't get out of that when he was here. All up in Galilee. All over on the Mediterranean coast is Tyre and Sidon. All the way down to Jerusalem. It is 2,800 feet up. It was always up. And then back over across the Jordan all the way up. And, and he's got all of that. Judea and Jerusalem. And from the co- sea coast of Tyre and Sidon. Which came to hear him. And be healed of their diseases. Now that, that one passage covers a busy time. This just really... Uh, uh just really uh, of all the people that had gathered to see him and they were vexed with unclean spirits and they were healed. Oh he must have been tired. When this happened, he must have been uh, so overwhelmed with the exertion and the overtaxing of his body. And then he ended up up at, up at Galilee where he taught this the rest of this teaching, and it's where he delivered the Sermon on the Mount. And the whole multitude sought to touch him, for they there went virtue out of him and healed them all. Now, I want to tell you, this wasn't done in, in, in the closet. It was done out in the open. But while this was happening, it never ceased. They never ceased. The Pharisees ceased to criticize him and want to kill him. They were after him. Boy, they were after him. They, and they did. They finally did. And he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, and here's the kind of attitude he has in the situation and is still similar to that one that we had this morning in the book of Philippians. It's love. It's adoration. It's compassion. It's the it's a, it's a way we ought to feel about people. He said, "Blessed be the poor." That's the person who's completely dependent upon Him. Now, there's the people that's going to take part in the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the people who are really thriving and they're uh, uh, and thirsting after uh, after righteousness. They're just reaching out to know the answer, and they're open-minded enough. Not that they're filled with their traditions and to criticize Jesus. That he just said, the ones that's really open and wants to know, they're going to know. So he placed, the, he placed the blessing upon them. And the people who were concerned, the people who were concerned enough to weep about uh, the situation, those who were in a condition of the, uh, their arm not being used and, and withered and And all these people he named up here, all of the ones that he'd healed, and he healed them, and and grace just went out of his body and just healed them. And he was just healing people one after another. And he's saying the people who are weeping and having all these troubles, and they're concerned, they're the ones that's going to get it. If you're not concerned about Jesus having power enough to help, then you don't have to worry about it because you're not going to receive help. The blessing is placed upon the person who, who is concerned. That word weep can be translated concerned. And and the word laugh there can be said they can be filled or filled with joy or have a result of their uh, difficulty. Blessed are ye when men shall hate you and when they shall separate you from their company and shall reproach you and cast out your name as... as Cast out your name as evil, for the son of man's sake. That's when they really take him. Well, anybody that gave Jesus support, you know what they did to him? They said, you can't come in synagogue. Well, that blind man that he healed, he told his parents, He said, uh, they said, uh, ask and see how if this blind man was uh, from his mother's womb. We will find out if Jesus did heal him. I said, I'll tell you what, if that happens and they say that they know him and he did that we, they're not going to ever come into the temple anymore and you know that, that when we studied that chapter one time we showed that, that that's the reason they, they said uh, say is this your mother and dad is this your son and they said well, we, don't, we don't know we're not going to answer well that's the kind of people he was talking about there he said when, 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 the, when, when the son of man's sake for his sake and you persecuted for it you're going to have the blessing He said, Rejoice ye in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven. For in like manner did their fathers unto the prophets. But woe, and here are four woes, but woe unto you that are rich. That's the people who think they'll be fulfilled and they're satisfied and they have everything satisfied except their spirituality. And another woe is on the person who's full. and think they have all the answers to life's problems. And the other woe is, is is a person who was happy and thought he had all everything satisfied. He was contented. But it's going to be another situation if they don't receive Christ and, and receive him. And the fourth woe is unto you when all men shall speak well of you. If we think we've got everything just like we want it, uh, he said, just think about the fathers of the prophets and all. They thought they had everything controlled. And they rejected the prophecies and the prophets that uh, uh, talked about the Lord Jesus. And uh, they even got their own prophets. And uh, he said, that doesn't work. But I say unto you, which hear, and here is the love and compassion and the way that we ought to live. Love your enemies. Do good to them which hate you. Now, you know, the admonition in Philippians who we mentioned this morning, he said, I'll tell you what. He said, that if you have the mind of Christ, you're going to love everybody greater than yourself. That's hard to do. That's difficult. He's teaching the same thing here. If you love your enemy, you're going to put him First. That's not easy. Why, he said, uh, uh, people who curse you, you just turn around and bless them. Look at that 28th verse. What are you talking about, Jesus? And you just pray for a person who despitefully used you. How many of us can do that? Well, Every one of us, our position is in Christ. And we know that in, in the Lord is where we abide and that we have his mind. And as a person who just works against us and just smites us, and uh, he said, just turn your other cheek, and just do something good for him. Thirtieth verse says, you just give to every man that ask you, and of him that taketh that that taketh away thy goods, ask them not again. And as ye would that men should do unto you, and this is what we call the golden rule. Whatever so that you would do, men are doing to you, do you even so unto them. In other words, that is, is obeying uh, Philippians 2, where it says, honoring other people better than yourself. And that's what Jesus did when he gave his life for us. He didn't count being on equality with God and being God a thing to be grasped and just keep it and said, well, I don't care about my creation down no, there. Let them go to hell. He didn't say that. He said, I think of them better than I do myself. I'm, I'm just going to take myself and go down and I'm going to give myself sacrifice. And Jesus said, and Paul said to the that in your difficulties, if you can't uh, uh, claim your position in Christ and be have the mind of Christ, then you're not going to settle the differences and you're not going to do what God wants you to do. If you love them which love you, what think have ye you? He says, well, sinners do that. Sinners do that. Also love those that love them. And if you do good to them which do good to you, do you think you have anything to boast about? Well, sinners do that, he says. And yet most of us do that. We're not about to do anything for anybody that doesn't like us. And we just usually let them know it. Give them a piece of our mind. That's not Jesus' teaching. He said, if you lend to them of whom you hope to receive, what well, thank have you? For sinners also lend to sinners. To receive as much again. Now, when you want know to cause a lot of trouble over some little thing you've done to somebody because they didn't reciprocate, you're going against Jesus' teaching. He said in the 35th verse he said I want you to love your enemies I want you to do good I want you, a, I want you to lend to people and I want you to do that not expecting anything but I'll tell you what you'll, you'll get plenty he said your reward will be great now if you'll do it understanding your relationship with God is the greatest relationship to man because on that next verse look at that that's the way you're the children of the most highest that's the God you know we we talk about we're the church of Christ and we're the children of God but if we are we better act like it and the way you act like it is just to do this for he is kind unto the unthankful and to the evil all we think about our God is an angry God in the hand of God And we're we're a sinner in his hands. But I'll tell you, we're we're in the hands of a forgiving God and a loving God. He doesn't love sin, and he doesn't tolerate sin, but he forgives sin. And that's the reason why he gave his son. The 36th verse, be ye merciful, as your Father in heaven is merciful. Now, this sums up a few things that he said here before. Merciful is a person who gives what other people don't deserve. They don't deserve it. If they deserved it, it wouldn't be mercy. Mercy is that which we don't deserve. And he says in the, in the uh, 37th verse, he says, You judge not that you shall not be judged, condemn not. And ye shall not be condemned. Forgive, and ye shall be forgiven. And so I said, well, God judges. Well, sure he does. And so I have to judge, righteous judge. But if you're in the business of just judging and doing like these Pharisees did Jesus, you're in the wrong business. You need to tell people that when you're judging them and when you're condemning them, that it's God and not you. If you don't, they're going to misunderstand. He's talking about our compassion and our love. 38th verse says, you give. This is is in the context of all of these things that preceded. A lot of people report this with money. And it has to do with money, but it has to do with all of these things that he's just mentioned. Don't take it out of the context of giving ourselves as children of God, as God's representatives. It's giving our service. And if we give our service like he has asked us to do and dedicate ourselves here, what will happen is that it shall be given unto us. That's just what he said in the previous verses. He wasn't talking about money then. That includes money. It would include anything God blesses us with. But money is just one of the little things that that, that he gives us. And it's just as important as, as, as insurance and hospitalization and, and food and clothing and all of that. Money, we have to have it. It's a medium of exchange. But he's talking about all these things that we dedicate unto God. Our bodies a living sacrifice. You give, and this is what will happen. It'll be given unto you. If you want to be kind, you're going to be given ca- kindness. If you give understanding, you're going to be given understanding. If you give consideration, people are going to con- consider you. If you give accommodation, people are going to accommodate you. And they're going to do it a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. That's a law, just like the law of gravity or the law that we breathe and live, that is built into God's creation. they will give into your bosom. For the same measure that ye meet with all, it shall be measured to you again. That is a law that we ought to just... And that's the reason I, I can't understand why people want to cheat the Lord with their money. I can't understand when people miss a Lord's Day that that they they don't give they don't make up their contribution. That's just one thing. They don't understand this. when Doc, I said, "Well, man, rob God." Well, he said, "You rob men, tithes and offerings." Now, what you do, you rob yourself, and you rob yourself of all this goodness that builds up in you when you. Fail to have kindness and mercy and love and grow yourself spiritually, you're robbing yourself. But money will come into that. You know, if you'll make that pay. And, and I'd be a timid, timid Timothy if I didn't point that out. He spake a parable unto them Can the blind lead the blind? Shall they not both fall into the ditch? You know what these Pharisees and, and the guys that criticized him? They were blind. They were trying to lead people, but they didn't know the heart of what to do, or they wouldn't have been criticized about his miracles and all those things they've been receiving. He said they'll both fall into the ditch. And the disciple is not above his master, but everyone that is perfect shall be as his master. And why beholdest thou the moat that is in thy brother's eye, but perceiveth not the moat that is in thine own eye? you think that sort of referred to those people that just got through criticizing him at the beginning of this? Well, they could criticize him. If he was doing wrong in healing those people, uh, uh, that was a moat in comparison to the planks and the 2 4s that they had in theirs. And he said... <laughs> It, and he exaggerated, that's what we call the hyperbole. It's an exaggeration. And he did it in order, uh, you can see the, the, uh, the, that God loves humor. Either how canst thou say to thy brother, Brother, let me pull out the mote that's in thine eye, when thy, thyself beholdest not the beam that's in thine own eye? Thy hypocrite. Cast out first the beam of our own eye, and then shall thou see clearly to put out the moat that's in thy brother's eye. Well that that refers to us and we won't criticize each other to death. And there's not a one of us that does not fill with faults, and we all lack. A good tree bringeth forth corrupt fruit, uh, uh, for a good tree bringeth not forth good, corrupt tree, neither doth a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. He's talking about what they're supposed to do, all those good things, that mercy and love and, and things. For every tree is known by its fruit. For the thorn men do not gather from uh, the uh, figs nor brambles, bushes gather they grapes. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is good. And an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is evil. For the abundance of the heart is in mouth speaketh. And he said, now why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? And then he concludes uh, this uh, uh, with the same thing he did in Matthew 5, 6, and 7 building on the it's not as the detail uh, Luke didn't make as detail as Matthew uh, you know this house on the sand and one's on the rocks well here he said uh, what I've just got through saying is the Magna Carta it is the heart it is the it is the the hope <coughs> of, of my <coughs> what I expect of a person whosoever cometh to me and heareth my sayings and doeth them I will show you to whom he is like. He is like a man which built his house and digged deep, laid the foundation on the rock, and when the flood rose, the stream beat vehemently upon that house and could not shake it, for it was founded upon a rock. Oh, well, if you want to know what that rock is, just read that chapter over again. Read Matthew 5, 6, and 7 over again. But he that heareth and doeth not, he is like a man, that without a foundation built an house on the earth against which the stream did uh, beat vehemently, and immediately it fell, and the ruins of that house was great. Now, it isn't easy for us to learn how to apply uh, this great sermon. But this is, a, this is not the greatest sermon. It's the great sermon. You don't prepare it with any other sermon. It's just Jesus' sermon. And if you're subject to God's call, come as we stand together and sing.